0: Welcome to Living Love, the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton, Illinois. Our desire is to live love to God, to others, and the nations. We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today.
1: I just have a feeling that right now, very quietly... On three, would you all just say reverently and quietly the name Jesus? Would, would you do that? One, two, three. Jesus. Jesus. And then let's, let's just move on one step. Let me, let me count to three again. And this time, don't shout it. But say it with conviction. That He is the one who changes every circumstance. He is the one that we've come to honor. Would you say it? with a little bit of of conviction in your heart, one, two, three, Jesus. That's good. I like that. Well, that's good. By the way, there is no pulpit here in case you didn't notice that. It was moved from D-Now and didn't get put back. Uh, I kind of like it that way, to be honest. I spent about 25 years preaching without a pulpit, so I'm kind of used to this. Uh, I don't know what we'll do next week, but it's good for now. Um, D-Now, that's pretty exciting stuff. I I don't know if you understand, 150 teenagers. I don't know that your building has survived. Uh, There may be cracks in places there were never cracks before, but uh, an exciting kind of weekend and and lots of volunteers, lots of good stuff. Tonight, uh, church council at 4.30, deacons at 7. uh, We're going to look at Obadiah at 6. uh, But thinking about pastors get a lot of credit for what goes on in churches, but the truth is it's individual leaders ministry teams and Sunday school teachers and deacons and volunteers and worship. It's individuals who make the name of Jesus rise to the top in churches. And so you are blessed. You have a lot of folks who serve the Lord well in your church. And so we're going to do some things tonight. Uh, Karen is not here today. Uh, She uh, had... Children and grandchildren, it's spring break in Virginia, and so our children from Virginia and grandchildren were at the house last night. Uh, We have three daughters, and so one daughter came back, uh, the other daughter from south of Springfield and her family came over, so they were all together last night. Uh, they are all worshiping this morning in Divernon and uh, one son-in-law's leading the worship and one son-in-law's preaching. And Karen decided that setting with five grandchildren in worship was more important than setting with you. <laughs> but don't feel bad, because she thought it was more important than setting with me as well. So, I mean, I didn't count very much. And then kind of an interesting twist is, uh, Some of those kids that are here on spring break are then tomorrow, this afternoon, are going to drive to Wisconsin and spend a couple days with our other daughter and her family. And then they're going to come back and we'll see them a little bit before they go back to Virginia. One of the great blessings is children who just like each other. I mean, these are the same kids that could not sit in the back of the station wagon without saying, She's touching me, make her stop touching me. Or better yet, she's looking at me. Make her stop looking at me. And uh, we did have an interesting conversation as my children were now talking about some of the challenges with their children. (laughs) And I was just basking in the glory of that. (laughs) Yeah, you thought it was easy raising kids. But we did get to the interesting element that it's a whole lot easier when children grow up in a church and a home where Jesus Christ is mentioned. And it's just kind of one of the joys of my children and my grandchildren enjoy being together and get along and have their moments where they get on each other's nerves, but there's something about Christian home and family and generation. So that's just kind of for extra today. Well, today, John chapter 1, and uh Amazing passage, wonderful. We get to Philip and Nathaniel, and we're going to start reading in verse 43, and there's five phrases that we're going to look at, five phrases, and so as I read, you can kind of look for those. But the first one is, Jesus found Philip. That's amazing. Jesus found Philip. Then the phrase that Jesus says to Philip is, follow me. And then as the next, just the natural result is we're going to see the phrase, Philip found Nathanael. And then Philip is going to say to Nathanael, we have found him. And then the last phrase is, come and see. So that's where we're looking so uh, beginning in verse 43 John chapter 1 the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and we probably need to stop there and just a couple things that come out of that first of all there's this whole series of next days in the first chapter of the gospel John Uh, the first day people ask John who he is and who he's not, and he tells them the second day, uh, John sees Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes sin of the world away. The the next day, day three, there's an encounter with uh, Andrew and probably John, and they follow Jesus, and Jesus says, come and see. And, and then Andrew gets his brother Peter, and then this is now the next day, and then if you get to the first chapter, second chapter of the first verse, on the third day. So we've got a week going on here, and on this day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee. Now he's down in Judea. That's where John the Baptist did most of his ministry, and that's where some of this week begins, but then it just casually says, he decided to go to Galilee. That's 70 miles maybe 75 miles, depending on where you're going, could be even 80. There were different routes, different ways you could go from Jerusalem. The the one way that Jesus is going to do a little bit later on goes up through the the center, kind of goes along a 2000 high altitude ridge uh, and goes up through Samaria. And a little bit later in the gospel of John, there's this neat phrase, Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And so he goes on that road to Galilee and meets a woman at a well and changes an entire community. There was another road that went from Judea to Galilee, and it kind of followed the Jordan River. And it was kind of, it wasn't a really good road. It wasn't a great road. You went down from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and then you followed on the west side of the Jordan River, and that would get you to Galilee. And not very many people went that way. Actually, most of the time, the way they went was they actually went down to Jericho, crossed the Jordan, and in what is today modern day Jordan, there was kind of an interstate highway. It was the difference of me taking 37 from Effingham down here or 57, a big difference. That they would cross the Jordan and there was a road. In fact, that plays out pretty significantly in the book of Obadiah, because the Edomites controlled that road, and they were charging great tolls to travel that road, but it was called the King's Highway, and it was well traveled. And that's the way most people they would actually cross the Jordan, go north. And just as they got to the Sea of Galilee, they would cross back over. We don't know exactly how, but it's about 70 or 75 miles. And it kind of says something significant to us about Jesus. Jesus was in good shape. I mean, we don't know what Jesus looked like. I, I'm pretty sure he didn't have blonde hair. I mean, you know, there, there was Solomon's head of Christ where Jesus has blonde hair and it's flowing and that's not typical in the Middle East. We don't know what Jesus physically looked like, but we can pretty much understand he was a physical man. First of all, he spent a, uh, a lifetime working in a carpenter shop where the power tools were your arms. <laughs> and uh, if you spend much time with a handsaw or a hand drill or a plane, you got a pretty good full body workout. Jesus was very healthy and he was obviously a strong man. And then he walked. And you understand he makes 70 miles in probably two or two and a half days. Uh, the Roman legions, if they were really doing well, they kind of said 20 miles a day was a good walk. I mean, and that was kind of their average. They might, in going to battle, they might have to maybe go 25 miles. But Jesus walked 70 miles in just a couple of days. So he obviously was a physical man and probably had something to do with fasting. Had something to do with a lifestyle that was pleasing to God. But he was a physical man, a good specimen. By the way, it did occur to me that if gas prices get much higher, some of us are going to have to get better at walking, maybe. I I don't know, but 70 miles. And then the other interesting element about this is it really just sort of tells us and reminds us that the Bible is a book about real people Real events, real names, real places, real history, real time. It is not a fiction book. It is a book and all of those kinds of things that are just sort of in the backdrop that we kind of just gloss over, give us some of the integrity of the Word of God that all these things happen to real people, real places, real geography. There's something significant about the Bible. But the Bible, in spite of being written in real time about real people, is about what God does in their lives. And so he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So probably Andrew and Peter, Philip knew each other. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom the Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And uh, I, I think that's probably more the fact that he was a student of the Bible and he knew that the Messiah had to come from Bethlehem or from Judea and not likely from Nazareth. So I don't think it's really a, a, a shame on, on Nazareth. But then Philip said to him, come and see. Those phrases are all pretty significant. And they're very significant in understanding about the nature of salvation. The first one is, Jesus found Philip. Isn't that an amazing thought? That Jesus found Philip individually, went and found him. And by the way, we don't know whether it was in Judea or whether it was after he got into Galilee. But the bottom line is, wherever Philip was, Jesus found him. The whole idea of being found. Last night it was at a service and a song I'd never heard, it was kind of an old gal's an old gospel song, I guess, but it had something to do. the fact, I was in darkness and Jesus found me and wrapped his arms around me. An amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The idea that we have a savior. In fact, Jesus said of his own ministry that he came into the world to seek and to save those that are lost, that which was lost. In other words, Jesus finds us, that we have a God who actively pursues you and me. He knows our name. He knows our life. He knows what we're going through. He knows the struggles that we're dealing with. He knows all of the things about you and me. And at some point, I trust and pray that in your life, you can say, Jesus found me. And there's a story behind him finding you and the details and the reality that he pursues you. Now physically, he physically got into the place where Philip was and evidently made eye contact with him. Jesus physically made eye contact with Andrew and the other disciple and said, come and see. Jesus dealt with him individually and today he does that a little differently. Today he does it through the Spirit. And then we have a Holy Spirit who even as, and I think about the the difference, the, the spirit of evil, the spirit of Satan is roaring, the roaring lion is roaming to and fro on the earth, seeking whom he can devour. We have the spirit of Jesus that is also roaming through the world and on any given Sunday in churches all over the world where the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit is present. As believers are sharing their faith out in the world, the Holy Spirit is present and is seeking out individuals to convict them of their sin and convince them of Jesus Christ. We have a Savior who is seeking individuals, who's finding individuals, and I hope you can say, he found me. Philip, for the rest of his life, could say, Jesus found me, and he caught me. One of the reasons that my son-in-law was here in Illinois from Virginia is that there was a time he grew up in a good Christian home and went to Christian schools and got to Southern Illinois University down the road here a little bit and And had really no clue about Jesus Christ. Oh, he knew all the stories, but he never really trusted Jesus Christ. And the reason that he was really here is that last night he spoke at an Illinois State Gideon convention in Effingham. And the reason he did it was that as he was farrowing them, he pulled out a little Gideon New Testament that Gideons, if you don't know, hand out Bibles every place, but they do it on college campuses. And 25 years ago, When John Sullivan was walking across the quad on Carbondale's campus, there was an old man with white hair, and that's all he knows about him, who was standing there with the box and was holding things out and offering them to students. And one of what John took from him was a little New Testament. In the back of a Gideon New Testament, there's the plan of salvation and there are verses to read. And John's story is that on that day, he took that New Testament and he went home and he read the verses in the plan of salvation. And he read and he said when he got to to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 about believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confessing with your mouth and being saved. And, And basically what he said was, and I told God, I've not ever done that. And that night, that moment, he prayed, and he was found by Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, God was using that Gideon. God was using those Gideon Bibles. God was using and was working. And John's testimony, and it was kind of neat because he was able to say to Gideons 25 years ago, and it, there was even the potential there might have been somebody in that room because some of them been Gideons for 30 and 40 years. But he was able to say, thank you for being a part of the day that Jesus found me. And I hope you have a story about the day that Jesus found you. But you also understand it goes beyond that, that Jesus seeks us, and He's searching, and His Holy Spirit is working, and He's calling us, and He's drawing us, and He uses all manner of situations, and circumstances, and events, and people, and Gideon New Testaments, and worship services, and, and Sunday school classes, and D-Now events, and anything and everything. God is always at work with the idea of drawing, and calling, and finding individuals with the next step, and it is the friend. follow me. Now, later on in the second service, there's going to be a bunch of kids wearing these blue shirts and the front of the blue shirts all say, follow me. And that was kind of their theme. But Jesus said, follow me. Now you understand this is the second time Jesus has spoke the first time we've read him saying anything in the gospel of John. He says, come and see. That's an invitation. Follow me is a command. And you understand both of those are always at work in salvation. There is the drawing. There is the conviction. There is the the fact that Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you. He knows your name. He cares about you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. But understand, it is not a relationship of equals. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And a part of salvation is a commitment to follow him. That's why you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead and you confess Jesus is Lord. I don't know that we understand that word Lord nearly enough. That was the word Kyrios that slaves used of their master. Individuals who literally owned them. to use the word for Jesus and say Jesus is Lord is something about saying I will follow you and do whatever you ask. You are now the Lord of my life. There is an element of surrender. I got talking to somebody about being baptized and and uh, the picture of death and burial and resurrection. But I don't know if you know, there's another little deal that goes on in baptism is that whoever is being baptized is at the mercy of the person doing it. I mean, because literally, it's kind of okay, I'm, I'm letting go. And there are folks who really struggle with that. And you know, every pastor's got some baptism story about somebody who panics as they're getting ready to go down because of the water or because somebody's not holding them or what's going to happen. And I got some pretty tragic stories. I lost a guy one time going down and the wave went up and came over the glass. And, uh, you know. But there's this element of surrender that is a part of following Jesus. And if that surrender is not a part of your life, If you are not following Jesus, in fact, I I, I sometimes am concerned that if today you are not following Jesus, there's some question about whether or not he really ever found you and you found him. That's not really a negotiable kind of thing. And some other things about this following business, one is that it is a personal thing. I mean, Jesus found Philip and said, Philip, follow me. That individually, we have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He seeks us out individually. You must make a decision. I have decided to follow Jesus, personally me. But there's another interesting little element that the very next thing that... Andrew or Philip does after he evidently decides to follow Jesus, he goes and he finds Nathaniel, and we'll get to that in a moment. But when he speaks to Nathaniel, he doesn't say, I have found him. He says, we have found him. There's an element in following Jesus that is personal. You personally follow him, but understand that as soon as you start following him, you are part of a group of other followers. It's kind of an interesting little thing. It's it's probably a geometric thing. I don't know. But but if Jesus is there and I'm following him and somebody over here and they're following him, and somebody's over here and they're following, what happens to the people who are following? Well, naturally, they eventually get closer together. They eventually get to where they are together following the same person, and that's one of the realities of the body of Christ, that individually we have all made personal decisions. We have personal testimonies about when Jesus found us and when we decided to follow him, but that draws us together. Somebody in one of the Facebook posts did something, and I, I don't know, Mama's family or something, but, but somebody said, you know, Mama, you don't really have to go to church to be a Christian. And the response was, yeah, and you don't have to wear a parachute to jump out of an airplane, but it's a good idea. (laughs) Well, being in the body of Christ with other people following is a pretty good idea. And when you struggle following, it's going to help that you're walking with somebody else. And you're all together following the same person, the same goal, the same commitment. Jesus found Philip. And he said, follow me. He's going to say that to other guys. He's going to say it to Peter and Andrew and James and John on the the Sea of Galilee and maybe in the very next few days or maybe even before this and significantly they're going to have left their nets and they're going to follow Jesus and some of the following is to be of the 12. But then there's the very next step and it's kind of a theme in the Gospel of John certainly that as soon as Philip has been found and follows Philip found Nathaniel. As far as you know, Nathaniel is just a good friend. Maybe he was from the same area. We don't really know much about him. In fact, there's a little bit of a suggestion that maybe Nathaniel might possibly be the the first name of Bartholomew, the son of Ptolemy. At least we know that uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Bartholomew is one of the the twelve and Bartholomew is never mentioned in the Gospel of John but Nathaniel's also never mentioned the others, and, and in the lists of the apostles, Bartholomew and Philip are always together. But the bottom line is, he went to a friend, and that's kind of one of the themes. We first of all have the Gospel of John, that John the Apostle is telling people about Jesus. And then John the Baptist is pointing people to Jesus. And then Andrew is talking to his brother about Jesus. And now a friend is talking to another friend about Jesus. There's something about it. And we spoke the name of Jesus today. But you understand the most important name that you ever speak to anybody is the name of Jesus. And it's good to do it in your prayer life. It's good to do it in worship. It's good to do But the bottom line is we ought to be speaking Jesus to lost people. And the name of Jesus has the most powerful thing, and he finds a friend. He finds someone, and he says, we have found him. Now, I don't want to get a lot of this, but um, there's kind of a dual thing. Jesus found Philip, and Philip said, I found Jesus. It's kind of the same thing if you abide in Christ and Christ abides in you. It is a two-way. Jesus makes a commitment to us and he asks us to make a commitment, but he says, we have found him. And then he goes on and he makes a statement about who Jesus is. I don't know if you were aware about it, in almost all the songs this morning, there were statements that you sang about Jesus. About God, about who He is, about what He does, and what kind of God He is. And that's kind of the theme of the Gospel of John that so far we have heard, and we're not even out of the first chapter. We have heard countless statements about Jesus. He's the Word. He was with God. He was God. He was the light. He was the life of man, the light of the world, the light that shines in the darkness. He was the Word that became flesh. He was the source of grace and the source of truth. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Now He's the one that the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets all talked about. We're going to keep hearing more and more and more about Him. And in the Gospel of John, there is over and over, I am the light of the world. I'm I'm the... uh, uh, the bread of life. I'm the uh, good Samaritan shepherd. I am the, uh, the resurrection and the life. You can have those seven I am statements. And John is just going to add one after another, tell us about Jesus and who Jesus is. And that's ultimately what witnessing really is all about. But it's a personal thing. We have found at the bottom, of England, we talked about last week. Just simply your personal testimony when you came to know Jesus Christ. It was kind of great to hear my son-in-law talk about when he came to know Jesus Christ. And it was kind of exciting to just sit there and listen. And, and you know, all of my son-in-laws, I always want them to feel a little uncomfortable around me. I, I just, I kind of think that's the, the way son-in-laws ought to be with their father-in-laws. I mean, there should be a certain amount of you're taking my daughter. Uh, don't ever get too comfortable about that. But it was just so exciting to hear him talk about what he found in Jesus and what he's come to believe in Jesus and his testimony. Certainly encourage Gideons to to give out more Bibles and share their faith, but, but I hope that you can say, this is what I have found in Jesus Christ. And you understand, you have something pretty special, something pretty amazing, something that really is worth sharing, worth telling. Karen got a new phone this week, last week. And uh, we were there kind of getting through and what she wanted and talking, and, and an elderly man came in, and his statement to the next salesperson was, we're just paying way too much for our cell phones. We got we to gotta bring the price down. So they were talking to him and different things, and, and I just felt obligated to go over to him, sir, ask about the 55 plus for Verizon. 'Cause you get two lines and unlimited everything for eighty bucks, but you gotta be fifty-five years or older, and they won't tell it to you and if you don't ask. Well, I got a better deal than better phone lines. I got a deal about Jesus for all of eternity. And I felt obligated to share a deal that somebody told me about, and I got it, and I was saving money. And if you're not aware, I'm doggone cheap. I don't mind spending some of it, but I, I want to save, and I want to get the best deal I possibly can. And that's good to talk about deals. But in Jesus Christ, there is a deal like no other deal in all the history of the world. And then, when Nathaniel's not sure, Nathaniel questions, and we don't, we don't know. We're going to learn more about Nathaniel next Sunday. And it's a great story when we read a little bit more. I love the idea of Nathaniel, a man in whom there is no deceit, no guile. But then, in the end, what Philip says is, come and see. You understand, you're not asking anybody to follow you. You're asking them to meet Jesus. You're introducing them to Jesus. You're telling people what you know about Jesus. Evangelism really is the good news. The gospel really is good news. And there is news that you and I have to share with individuals. And you understand in the gospel of John, there's just pretty much a basic picture this is the way it works. If Jesus has found you and you are saying that you're a follower of him, it is natural, it is right for you to be finding others and telling them what you found and inviting them. Come and see. Isn't it interesting that Jesus used those words? And there evidently was a connection. And I kind of think Philip must have known Andrew and must have known Peter. They all lived in a little town. They would have known each other. They were all basically about the same age, young men living in there. And I'm going to assume that maybe somewhere in this process, Philip has already heard from Andrew and maybe from John that Jesus said, Come and see. And we went and saw him, and we found out who he was, and we believed. And you and I have the invitation, the opportunity. That's really what evangelism and outreach is. It's inviting people to come and see. We kind of have a, a different thing. Down on the, uh, on the altar and on a table in the back, there are some cards. And uh, we're just talking in staff about the idea that we are walking up to Easter. And it is one of those times when the world around us, when our friends, our neighbors, and our co-workers are probably going to be more open. Now, the Holy Spirit works all the time. I guarantee you. He's, he's working 365 days. He's he's working all the time. But there are unique times when individuals are more open to the truth of the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. And to be honest, coming up to Easter, when all of the world at least understands something about those Christians, whether they are believers, whether they've ever been to church, they understand something about resurrection, about Easter and Jesus, and they are more open. And the idea is this is a wonderful time to be openly talking with lost members of your family because Peter came because a family member brought him and your friends just like Philip found Nathanael Your neighbors, individuals you know, it is a wonderful time to be openly talking to them and having spiritual conversations of helping them to understand what you believe about Jesus and what Jesus has done to you and maybe to talk about when you found Jesus and when Jesus found you and how it means to follow him. There are so many things that you and I can share, but in the end, this is a great time to say, you know what, why don't you come with me to church?
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com. That's I-B-C-B-E-N-T-O-N dot Or give us a call at 618 439 Three five one three.